All right, my friends, the Ultimate OD Podcast, excellent episode for you today. We are continuing part two of the traits needed to be a successful private practice owner. We gave you the first three last week, three more this week. You need to listen to this. These are what you have to develop to be the best doctor and business owner you can be. We have a little office talk, closing thought of the episode. This is the Ultimate OD Podcast. Here we go. Welcome to Optometry, the ultimate OD podcast, building better doctors one episode at a time. Here's your host, optometrist and practice owner, Dr. Nick Lilly. All right, friends, the ultimate OD podcast. We have an amazing episode for you. This is a continuation of what we were talking about last week. So I got a little long-winded when I talk about the things that I really love and enjoy. Here I go, right? So we were talking about the traits I think that are most important to be a private practice owner. The things that you need going into it and the things after you get into it, you have to continue to develop, all right? Number one, we talked about self-management, all right? You have to be able to know where you're weak and how to get better. Put yourself in the best position to be successful for you. You know, take the templates that you get from everyone else and apply them to your specific situation okay we talked about being patient all right everyone wants everything right now it's not going to happen that way your staff's not going to be where you want them initially you're not going to be as good as you want to be initially and if i think you ever if you ever feel like you've made it or the staff's made it you better look at yourself in the mirror because that's never the case if you think you're at that point something's going wrong you're going to get past you're missing something right? But be patient. And then the last thing is that we talked about last episode was being curious. Curiosity is the key to doing what we do. You have to continue to push yourself to be better than you've ever been. And that's by exploring what's out there, looking at all aspects of life, you know, other businesses, other successful people, teachers, coaches, you name it, you can learn something in my mind from everyone out there. You just have to be willing to ask the right questions and listen to their answers. All right, we're going to get into the things for this week. So the other thing I think is absolutely necessary to being a good private practice owner, it's the ability to teach. Okay, the ability to teach whether it's other doctors in optometry, whether it's your staff members, you know, doing the basic things like being an optical, dispensing, uh, making appointments, being better on the phone, or teaching your staff members, developing them to be leaders, right? Do you know that leadership is not natural for a lot of people? I'm not going to lie to you. The people that you usually are hiring are not coming in thinking that they're leaders, right? They have the ability to lead. Don't get me wrong. I've developed a ton of my staff members into leaders, but it doesn't come naturally. And if you don't put time and effort into it, you're going to be wondering why you don't have the help that you want. And yes, some of it, it goes back to that. You, uh, you're not getting the right people that apply. You're not able to pay the wages that get the actual leaders. But I think a big part of it is you're not putting the time, effort and energy into developing them. Look at some of our past episodes. We talk about developing leaders. I think that is absolutely crucial 
to your office. There's five traits that we've talked about, but again, that's another episode. Uh, but you have to be able to teach and develop others, okay? How do you do this? How do you get better at this? Number one, realize that everyone you interact with, and I'm going to say 99.9% of the people you interact with are not like you. They will not learn like you. They don't want to be given feedback like you. They are not you. That's lesson number one when I teach my optical uh, staff, my opticians, how to sell glasses. Realize that the person across from the chair is not you. We make the mistake of thinking that everyone wants to hear all the information that we would want. They want to be told the way we want to be told. Not the case, my friends. All right. You have to be able to learn how others learn. Is it visually? Is it by hearing, you know, auditory? Is it by doing? Is it reading and writing? And then you have to be able to speak their language. I have a lot of good staff members that I have right now. And I'm like, okay, you got to teach them. And they're like, I don't get how they don't understand this. I'm telling them, you know, every way I can think of, and it's not working. I'm like, well, that's fine. You have to learn to speak their language, take a step back, and can you explain it from a different way? Can you simplify it, right? And this not only will teach you what you don't know. If you can't teach it in a simple manner, you don't have the understanding that you think you do right? This has helped my leaders, my managers become even better because they realize that they don't grasp what I want them to know, what they're teaching as well as they probably should. And they learn it better. They become better at it. And then they can teach it that much better to my staff. Well, it's a double development. We're getting the other staff members that they're training to be better. And the people that are teaching it, they learn it at a deeper, more in-depth level. They're better. It's a win-win. You are the same way. You have to be able to teach what you do, okay? That is so crucial. When you come, they come into the office, a lot of people won't have other experience from other offices. The people that do have experience will have bad habits. You're going to have to break them, nip it in the bud, and then everyone, whether they've been in the industry or they're not in the industry, is going to kind of expect some sort of reason for why you do the things that you do, all right? And you're not going to be the one. You don't have to justify everything you do. You are the boss. But you have to give them a nugget, a tidbit. Hey, we do it this way because when we don't, this is what happened. Or this prevents you from making this error. Oh, all right. Something as simple as that. I don't want you to be in a position to fail. If you follow my protocol, you will have all the information I you need. And I won't be mad at you for doing it the way I asked you to. Oh, all right. I don't want you to yield that. Period. You've set the expectation for them, right? But you have to know why you do the things you do. This will apply to every aspect of your office. How you make an appointment, how you answer the phones, how you do a workup, what you require other doctors to do as your minimum level of care. That may be different than what the insurance companies require. That may be different than what they've done at other practices. You just have to make sure that they're on the same page as you and that they have enough respect for you that they'll do it, right? And they get respect by you teaching it in such a way that they understand it and see the value, okay? That's very hard. Like I said, you have to tailor your teaching style to the student, all right? Make it happen. Learn how to teach. That's how you are successful in private practice. That might be one of the most important things aside from self-assessment, self-management. Take care of yourself. Be able to teach others. You're going to be 
be the man. All right. You're going to be the best doctor, best business owner. Uh, going to be awesome. All right. Next thing, be consistent. Okay. Nobody wants a robot leading them. All right. But what people want are people with passion, but focus. All right. If you go wherever the wind blows, you're going to drive your staff crazy. All right. They're going to not know what to expect. They're going to come to the work and not feel like they're ready to give you what you need because they don't know what it is. Yesterday, he wanted me to dilate every patient. Today, he says, we never dilate again. You know, the other day, he said, every patient should get a second pair of glasses. Today, he yelled at me for offering a, a second pair to my pediatric patients. You know what? Be consistent, right? They want a consistent message. They want to know that you're working towards something, okay? Now, listen, hear me on this. My staff right now knows that we're really trying to develop our medical side of the practice, okay? That means we're going to be doing a lot more glaucoma evaluations, ocular hypertension, macular degeneration. We're pushing towards that. I told them, this is our focus. This is our goal. This is how we grow. At the same time, I told them, it's a dynamic process. We are going to have a protocol, but it's going to get refined. Once we refine it to the level that we need, then we'll be consistent and then we'll go. Okay? So that gives you a little bit of grace to be a little inconsistent. Hey, this week, let's do it this way. I want to see what happens. And then a week, let's meet together to give me feedback. Tell me what you like, what you didn't like, and then we'll adjust from there. They can live with that. They like that. But you are consistent for that week. You can't be giving them different messages all the time. All right? You will not get buy-in if you're wishy-washy in your suggestions. Okay? Now, this has been hard for me in the sense of developing my niche. All right? I really value having a specialty. All right? I've been trying for like five years to develop a specialty. And, you know, for a second there, I thought it was sports, sports vision stuff. Like, I, I, I love sports. I like working with athletes, sports vision. Well, then I got into it and I realized, one, I don't like working with that parent set. I don't want to, I don't have enough staff to train them appropriately. And it's really hard to get people to do this in the facility that I have. All right. Sports vision out. Vision therapy. Looked at it for a second. Nope, don't like that. We looked at myopia management. I went really hard on that. Now, I developed a protocol. We still do it, but I am not a hardcore Gary Gerber, Treehouse Eyes, myopia management guy. Okay? Atropine drops seem to be effective. Don't like having those conversations. I have a lot of trouble getting my pediatric patients to wear OthroK lenses. They don't, I get a lot of pushback. It wasn't worth my time, effort, and energy because I didn't have the passion once I saw it in practice. Still like it. I think there's value. I'm not going to get rid of it because I think there's going to be a place for it. And I still offer it to patients when the need arises. They know it's there, but I'm pushing other avenues. I really like, like I said, I get a lot of buy-in with atropine, the uh, specialty contact lenses. That seems to work and I have good data, right? So we'll go with that. But I developed that, and again, we went really hard, and then we backed off on a little bit, but it's not my not my focus. Scleral lenses, love them, all right? Love it. I spent a solid year and a half just doing nothing but marketing. I put like probably in marketing dollars for special lens stuff, twenty four to $40,000, like two 
$2,000 a month for a few, uh, you know, a year and a half into it. And we grew. We got a lot of awareness, but I didn't get the ROI I wanted. Now, I got really good at it. We still see about two to three scleral special lens patients a month, which is good, but it's not going to be something that I, all I do is special lenses and not see private, you know, primary care patients. Uh, disease, I'm going really hard into that. We're growing that. I think that's a, that and scleral lenses, if I had anything, that's probably what I'd say we're trying to develop in my office right now. Okay. But I had so much passion and energy and I go really hard and then I back off. Now I've been very consistent with scleral lenses and I've been very consistent with the disease aspect, but with the vision therapy, with the myopia management, I bring it up and then I'd fall off. I could see my staff kind of, oh, here we go again. Dr. Lilly's on another another tangent. You have to find out what you love. You have to commit. And then you have to get buy-in from the staff. So all, like, half my staff wear scleral lenses. Um, you know, they all do OCTs on each other. Uh, they know what it means. I take them in whenever I see a certain patient. I explain what we're seeing, what we're doing. I try to get them bu- to buy into it. All right? Commit. Prioritize what matters you know, in your office, and then make sure that's where you put your time, effort, and energy. You can do that in just day-to-day stuff. Like for me, customer service is number one. I point it out all the time. I make sure that we are trained in it every office meeting, and that's what we do. If you try to do everything, they're going to get overwhelmed, okay? So you have to know what rocks you're trying to move, whether it's a specialty, whether your mantra, your mission is customer service. What if your mantra mission is we want turn and burn? We want as many patients in here as possible, and then we'll let the you know the experience take care of itself. I don't care. Do what works for you, but be consistent. Tell your staff, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Now, the last aspect of being a successful private practice owner. Okay, there's more, but these are the big ones I want to pick on. The big rocks, creativity. Okay, I cannot emphasize how often creativity has made my office better or made me survive in private practice. And let me give you an example. I have 1,600 square feet, all right? It is not a big space. When I first started, we had enough workstations and people for three full-time people, me being one of those people. I didn't have an office. I didn't have anything. Oh boy, we now have eight full-time workstations, all right? I did in last year and will do this year probably a million over in gross, and we have seven full-time staff members, one doctor, 1,600 square feet. Okay, how did you find the space for that? It, It seems crazy. We're packed in like sardines, but they have workspaces. They have, they're comfortable enough. And I made space for it, right? We've added uh, Under Armour frames. We've had Eco frames. We've added Salt. Those are the big ones, right? How do you get other frames off the board and get other frames on? It's not easy. Once you commit board space to so it, you bought the frames. It's not like Salt was going to buy all my frames. I wanted to make space. So I had to find ways to get them off the board. Did it, right? When I look at how I was training my staff... We were good in workups, phones. The big area of you know trouble that we had was optical. How do we get opticians in from off the street and get them functional in a month? And we were doing a bad job, but we simplified the heck out of it. 
And now we can get them functional in about three to six weeks, depending on, you know, how busy we are, uh, where the trainers are being pulled. We can get them functional really quick and still give a great product, okay? That takes creativity. You don't just do that. You have to find ways to fix the problem that you have. Whenever my staff sees me kind of walking around, looking at things or asking questions like, hey, how often do you do this? How often does a patient come in and request this, right? They know my wheels are turning and I'm trying to make us more efficient, trying to be better. What can we do to improve the office? So that's a little bit of curiosity. We talked about that time, but being creative takes that curiosity and applies it to your office, all right? You have to put a square peg in a round hole. That is the key to running a business, to being successful in private practice optometry, solve problems that you never knew existed with information you didn't know you had, okay? So to maximize this, you have to look at what do you know, what do you have, and what can you do, all right? Ask yourself those three questions with any situation. Reach out to your colleagues, reach out to your friends, look at other businesses, see how they're getting around this, and make it happen. Right, I talked to one of my colleagues that's in Kalamazoo. She has a virtual assistant. I'm like, are you serious? That sounds really stinking cool. How do you make it work? Okay. All right, I started thinking about it. And give, she gave me the contact. I'm going to give him a call, see if I can do it in my office. Right? Never would have thought of that had I not talked to her. Right? And how that stemmed? A conversation about staffing and the issues we're having. Period. Talk to other people. Be creative. Okay, so those are the six traits you need to be successful in private practice. Self-management, self-assessment, patience, all right? It's going to happen. It takes time. Be curious. Never stop trying to learn more, okay? Teach. If you can't teach it, you don't know it. If you can't teach, you're not going to do it in private practice because guess what? When you're not training your staff, teaching them, you're doing the same thing with your patients. You have to teach them why it's important to see you every year, to get the glasses that you prescribe, to get the extra testing for their eye health. That's what a good teacher does. Okay? Be consistent. You're up and down all over the place, wishy-washy. No one's going to follow you. And then last but not least, be creative. Do these. You'll be better for it. We'll have more for you next week. All right, my friends, a little office talk. So today, the thought on my mind is margins, okay? One of my best friends has a, a business, and he's just telling me how he's killing me. He's doing great. Like, you know, we... We as optometrists, for one doctor, would love to be a million-dollar practice, right? When you look at most other industries, million dollars is not that much, right? They're doing $10, $20 million of sales, right? And I'm like, okay. Well, then he was telling me, too, like, um, he has six salesmen. Four of them will make over 200 k and two of them will make over 300 k And in my head, I'm like, holy crap. How do they do that, right? Like you think about your top office person. Could you pay them 100K? Could you pay them that? No. Think about what you're paying your opticians, your staff workers, right? I talk to a lot to my friends. You know, I'm on, I'm paying some, a lot, majority of mine, we start at $20. That's more than most of my, my colleagues are paying people, right? 
and he's paying multiple salesmen over 100k right and then i was talking to him like man what are your margins how are you doing he's like, it's just built into the cost man and the thing about what he does it's a it's a roofing company right it's like no single house is the same so it's kind of hard to box in what what the cost should be and i started thinking about our business and that we have a great profession don't get me wrong i love it i love to talk about it but the thing about what we do is it's seen as a commodity, right? Everyone can do an eye exam. Everyone does these tests. Everyone can get glasses. And not only that, we have managed care and health insurance, right? So he's like, raise your prices. People will pay them right now. Like, yeah, I, I did. I did raise my prices. But the thing you got to realize is even if I charge $200 for an exam, I'm getting $40 for my men. I'm getting 60, 80, whatever I get from VSP. I have to look that up, right? But you get what you get, right? For the services that you provide for medical care, the insurance company is dictating that as well. You know, you think about us, you think about dentists, and we're kind of in the same boat. Like, you can raise it as much as you want, but at the end of the day, we're going to get reimbursed what we get reimbursed. Now, cash patients are great, but I don't many know many offices where we have just solely cash patients. And... Then you're when you're competing on price, you're competing against the corporate chains, which are going to beat us. Right? They have buying power. They uh, have verticalization in their business model, which we don't have, and they're going to beat us, right? So, what's our other option? If we can't, you know, have a bunch of cash patients, then we go the managed care route, even the medical route. Volume, volume, volume. All right, you see why people will stop trying to be uh, quality; they start being the quantity. Right, and I got I fell into that trap. Uh, I'm trying to get out of that and trying to provide better care, raise the margins, see what happens. But that's one of the realizations I had about our business. All right, now I have a bunch of ideas in my head of how I can leverage all my skills and abilities and get out of that mindset, get out of that commodity-based thing, and it's running a business. Right, it's what we do. I have this bigger picture where I get people in. They're doing a lot of the patient care, but I'm growing the business. The business is fun to me, right? The business also has the ability to make more if you do it right. That's why the corporate chains exist. That's why um, you know, private equity is scooping up all these practices because they think they can do it in a better way. You know, That intrigues me. I think we can do private practice optometry Take some of the principles from the corporate private equity side and be better. But know that takes a ton of effort and energy, a ton of business acumen, and honestly, a ton of money, right? Am I willing to pay the price to do those things to get there? Well, that's why you're going to tune in the next few weeks, next few episodes, uh, next few years, and see if I can do it, if I can get there. If I find that circuit formula... You best bet I'm going to share with you, my friends. So tune in. We'll have more for you next week. Where, oh, where has the time gone? Or to the closing thought of the episode. So I've been huge into circadian rhythms, reading about that, how to get the most out of your sleep. And Andrew Huberman, awesome listen. He's a professor of neuro, 
I think neurobiology and ophthalmology at Stanford. And when I was listening to his podcast, one of the things that he said was, you're, you can set your circadian clock by looking at the sun, right? Again, I'm not telling you to stare at the sun, but when you wake up in the morning, he's like 10 minutes of looking at low horizon sun will ingrain your circadian clock that it's morning and make you have a more productive day, right? He also says that when you look at the sunset in the same position, you will also ingrain your circadian clock that it's the end of the day. Now I have to look into this more, you know, deeply. But again, he's a he's a pretty well known source. I trust what he's telling me. Again, I'll, I'll you know look for the evidence. Cite your source, as us doctors always say. Uh, but he said that when you look at a sun rising versus sun setting, you are getting different wavelengths of light into your eye, and that will trigger different effects in your brain in the circadian rhythm aspect. I thought that was awesome. I am very fascinated and curious about that. So I'm going to look into that more. I'll let you know what I find out. But that's what I got for you. Dr. Lily out. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode and hope that you found a pearl to apply to your practice. We believe as a community, there is much wisdom to be shared. So if you have questions, suggestions, or requests, we want to know. Feel free to reach out to us via social media and leave a comment or email us at theultimateodpodcast at gmail.com so we can make this podcast even better for you. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll catch you again next week.